welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. And this week we're covering Philippians and the book of Colossians for the weeks of October 14th through the 20th, titled, I Can Do All Things Through Christ, Which Strengtheneth Me in our Come Follow Me manual. And these specific letters are from Paul, and he is writing from prison. But despite prison, it is some of the most beautiful scripture about the optimism of Christ living in our lives. It has references, it has actual early Christian hymns in it, and a lot of references to contemporary hymns we have now. So the wording itself is beautiful, and it even has our inspiration for the 13th article of faith. So there's just so much beautiful wording in here. It was almost like as I was reading, I thought, oh no, are we going to do our podcast and it's just going to be like, let's share our favorite scripture because there are just like things that I put on my wall and lots of beautiful scriptures and words. And for instance, just even the very first word verse, and I don't know if it's different with you, but he introduces himself as a servant of Christ Jesus and gives grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just the wording I thought was beautiful. And maybe we should start talking to each other that way a little bit more. I would just like to address you as grace and peace to you. I just think it's lovely. Yeah, I think that's great. So as he starts off um, in this first chapter, in verse 6, he says, I'm certain of this, that he who began a good work among you will perfect you until the day of Christ. Verse 9, I pray for this, that your love will increase more and more in knowledge and being full of discernment for you to differentiate what is good and bad so that you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I thought about this. I thought about C.S. Lewis has a parable of the house where he says that Christ will come into our lives and he will fix us as a living house. And we may not see our imperfections, but that light stepping into the light shows us those imperfections that he strengthens, he fixes. It talks about expanding that house. And one day you wake up and you realize there's courtyards and there are palaces because Christ is living and dwelling in you. And I just think that's a beautiful thought um, that as we learn more knowledge and discernment, that we grow closer to Christ, but Christ also can dwell in us as we step into light. Did you like that? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that transition. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. And as you were speaking, one of the things that I really appreciated, and the more that I come to know my Savior, the more that I recognize that all of this change and transition that we're talking about, like the one word that I circled in verse 9 is love, that all of it is, that it's nothing to be feared. It's nothing that is going to... Um, make us feel shame or guilt that as you just said with light that it is through light that these things get revealed in us but it's through that everything about this process is love it's our savior's love for us that this process comes to be and it is our love for him that brings about that change and so it's actually a lot more gentle and um enticing and comforting than I think sometimes we're worried it's going to be. Well, that just is an interesting opener for some thoughts I had this morning because let's talk about the big picture here that Paul is in prison and he is abundantly joyful. I remember when we read about him being in prison in in Acts and I don't remember what verse, but I remember thinking... 
Christ actually said to him, be of good cheer. You get to preach of me in the next city. And there was this sense from Paul's reaction, like, yeah, you're right. Christ, I am excited. Like their friendship just empowered him in, in, in prison. And there was that real resonance of Paul feeling joy that he gets to preach of Christ. And I just thought, well, of course he gets to talk about his friend that he that brings him all this love. And I thought specifically um, about conference this weekend. Um, I This whole concept you just talked about, you know, President Nelson, since he's become prophet, I've heard him say several times that we're gathering Israel on both sides of the veil. And it has just, every time he says it, it just makes me think more and more of what that means. And um, if you think about it, there's, on the other side of the veil, there's the spirit world, and we're told that there's spirit prison, and there's paradise. Um, and so that kind of made me think about what does it mean, the difference between prison and paradise, in the context of what you were just talking about. We know from Brigham Young clearly that the post-mortal world is on earth around us. And that the righteous people are in paradise doing work, and that people that are in spirit prison just haven't fully received Christ yet, right? But it's not like they're, it doesn't feel like they're in different places. It's around us. And I think, wait a second, isn't that kind of what we're doing right now too? That the righteous that are engaged in the Lord's work can feel that paradise here, and that those that are still struggling to find Christ maybe are feeling the prison that Paul um, show, gives us this analogy, do we sometimes feel like we're in a prison that maybe our physical prison, our emotional prison, our mental prison, the prison of certain experiences or things that we're living in can be a prison here. And some people are like, you know what, in the resurrection, my body will be great, right? I've been ill for so long. My body, I'll wait until then. But if if President Nelson's words could resonate us with us and that little part of the veil could be lifted where we could see that spirit world, would it change our perspective? Would we start thinking differently about what it really means to be on the earth and these commandments and these rules and the structure and time? What if time wasn't about um, getting up in the morning, checking off your list, doing the things you're supposed to do, going to sleep, doing it again? If we saw the spirit world, would that be different? Would time be measured by sins and by our fact that we can't turn to Christ? Would it change our perspective? And so as I thought about what's happened at conference and President Nelson's words to us, this idea, this concept of prison is something we can address now. Um, and if it's all about love, then when we can turn our hearts fully to Christ and be fully immersed in his body, we can feel that love now. We don't have to wait until the next life to get on the ball and realize that we're just turning ourselves to Christ. So, yes. And there was a couple thoughts that came to mind, especially when it comes to like suffering, because I think for many of us, one of the ways that we can feel like we are in a prison here in mortality while we're here is for like for the vast majority of us we're not literally in a prison but that suffering can be a prison of sorts on many levels physical emotional even spiritual 
And in chapter, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit, and we can go back and fill in some of the other things, but in chapter three, Paul talks about suffering. Um, and even in verse 10, he talks about the fellowship of the suffering of the Savior. And I just think, okay, so if it's about love, and if we're sort of expanding our mind and our perspective to include not only this life and this time, but also sort of the grander picture of what's happening on this earth on both sides of the veil and what the purpose of it is, what, what our trajectory is, our, like, like not just in this theoretical draw the plan of salvation way, but in like my own personal trajectory where I'm headed. And we know that all things are in love, that that is what the Savior has for us then is part of being able to find that peace and joy even when there is suffering, like legitimate suffering, is that partly um, our ability to shift our perspective and look for in what way is this a loving thing or in what way can I see God's love even in this? Yes. So I think it kind of... So, yes. So I think that kind of gives us our, our starting point because Paul is in prison, but like I said, the words of what he writes are some of the most harmonious words. And right after the suffering and things, there's a hymn in there that talks about Christ that they would literally sing together. And I thought about um, what it means to be harmonious with Christ. This is a contrast to where we just finished, which is was Ephesians. So on Sunday, you're talking to your family about Ephesians, right? And and the um, putting on the whole armor of God. And so when I talked to my family about that this Sunday, my daughter, as we were talking about how there's a real battle, that Satan is real, and he doesn't want the children of God to follow Christ and in love, and that's real. And she stopped, and she's 19. And when you're 19, you're trying to figure out who you are, and you've got all these challenges, and sometimes that inner turmoil is just the prison you feel, right? And she's like, I don't want to be in a battle. I just want peace in Christ, right? And I thought, oh, yeah, I get where you are. And so to contrast this battle with the peace that you do find in Christ, that there really is peace in Christ. And honestly, the battle... G.I. Joe said, what did he say? He said, knowing is half the battle. I, have no, I don't even know what you're talking <laughs> okay, about what right is, now. There was a cartoon, G.I. Joe, which I, I really you. didn't watch. But for some reason, his quote always, re I like remembered it all the time. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. But I think for this. Which actually, I think is actually very profound. Like, I never watched G.I. Joe. I just remember I'm I not, heard it. I'm not really sure how G.I. Joe came to have such a profound, like, life Kids motto. cartoons are redeeming on some way. And yet, I actually think that that is 100% true. When we can know and understand something, that is half the battle. Because then we can build on a more solid foundation for how to move forward from where we are, wherever that may be. And for this um, being part of... What actually President Nelson says, part of the battalion of gathering Israel, when he, um, when we, I think knowing is more than half the battle, knowing who you are, knowing what side you're on and not dipping your toe on the other side, not maybe sometimes fighting for the other side, 
you know who you are, you know whose side you're on. You are given assignments from the people that matter, from the people that are leading on the righteous side. You're taking those assignments, you're being focused on those. And then the second you're wounded, the second there's a, a challenge there, you know who to turn to for healing. You don't walk around with some wounds, trying to fight a battle, maybe they're not that big of a deal. You turn to Christ. When you are that focused on Christ, there is peace in Christ. And so to, to follow that with this harmonious hymns that we're talking about just reminds me of how not only when you're in the battle of Christ, let's just kind of reframe that and talk about how this battle is for peace. And so peace in Christ can come from being an instrument in his work an instrument in his symphony, an instrument in his hymns, an instrument in his music, an instrument in his harmonies. So if that feels better than being in battle, I think that works too. Because I've been in some some opportunities where I've been able to sing with symphonies and, and other things. And when there is a conductor that knows how to use those instruments, it's it's not all about you at all. But letting you be part of it can create the most beautiful harmonies, the most beautiful music. And so I think for these words, I thought of it more of being part of a great piece of music, of that Christ is the ultimate conductor. And that if we can strip ourselves of those feelings of it's about me, you're not in prison, you are in a beautiful symphony with him. And so I guess it's tuning our heart to sing his praise that thinks this is how you can come to feel that love and that peace in all circumstances if you're willing to see it in the right context and of love. And that that whole analogy only works if, if we trust the conductor. So it only works if we actually trust that the conductor knows the music ahead, he knows the whole piece and all the individual voices and instruments and how all the parts are going to come together to the whole. Because as soon as we don't trust that, and as soon as all the members don't trust that and they think, oh, you know what, I better, you know, like, I'm kind of laughing that we're talking about a music analogy because I have no musical training whatsoever. But I have children who can play instruments. And I'm like, as I look at them, I think, oh, they may think, oh, well, my instrument will sound better if I just hold that note a little bit longer. Or really, I don't think that should be sharp. I think it should be this. And so if each individual person begins kind of letting their own light shine rather than waiting to see how the conductor needs them to shine, then it, it really won't be, be, it'll be kind of a mess. And it will feel messy. Like it will feel, not to be confused with the messy middle, but it's going to feel discordant and out of harmony with each other. Yes. And honestly, that Michelle, your, your understanding of music is profound. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Cause I have, I kind of have a voice that's a little hard to blend and, and I've watched conductors literally put people around me to, to like fix that sort of thing so that the warmth just comes out. And I have lived what you just stated that when you're not in harmony with the things around you and you're not really listening to the conductor and you're not really focused on that, you it doesn't feel right. It feels off. It doesn't feel like you're being who you really are either. And so there is there is Christ that brings you to a place where he can use you exactly the way he needs to use you if you're willing to be humble enough to let him do that. 
And like when you say like you're not being who you really are, like at first my thought was like, well, if you're seeing and how it feels good to you, how can that not be who you are? And yet there's something about that, that even if we're standing and we're being authentic to who we are, we also, there's, there's this innate part of us, I think, or at least in most of us, that we want to not only be authentic, we want that piece, but we also want to belong and we want to be in harmony and flow with the people around us. And that both are really important. And I don't think we need to sacrifice either one, but it really does take the Savior to be able to bring that harmony for us because he knows each of us perfectly and we only know ourselves pretty well. Right. And it goes back to what we're talking about. Maybe people don't like the word battalion, but if we can put that in the context of who do we turn for that direction? We have leaders of the church. We have general authorities. We have a prophet at the head of this church. And who's at the head of our church? Jesus Christ. And so if we know who to turn to for that direction, it may feel like in theory, you hear that and you're like, yeah, I want to just be who I am. But because of gospel principles, because the church is true, because the gospel of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the plan of salvation is true, when you're turning to the right people for that har- harmony, when you're turning to Christ for that harmony, it's a completely different feeling of being who you genuinely are deep down inside. And isn't that how love can be made manifest in us? Because if we stand on our own in in all of our authentic glory, how does love work? Like love is not a one-person deal. I, I can love myself, I suppose, but love in its most powerful form is something that we can, is a force and a power, but it's a power that be, because it's shared. Because it's a it's power because of reciprocity. Right, because we give it, because we receive it, because right. it is something that is our community, our battalion, our orchestra, whatever. And if love is the grand power that the Savior uses to shape us, we can't do that alone. And because these scriptures are set up that way of just beautiful harmonies going back and forth, it's hard to say, okay, so that's where he says it here and here. But as you read this, basically what we're talking about is the general gist I got. Because, um, like, for instance, because we haven't really talked about what we're reading, but like we just have in chapter two, he talks about... Um, doing all things so that you may become children of God without blemish in the midst of a perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world by holding fast to the word of life. So that's chapter two, verse 14 and 15 and 16. Which I, yeah, I totally love that. Well, and, and it reminded me of something you said to me, Michelle, a few days ago, that the iron rod is in the midst of the the great and spacious building. It, it used, maybe back in Levi's time, I'm sure it's always been art, but... The great and special build, spacious building may have been a little off, but we are in the middle of a perverse generation. That iron rod is going straight through the, the, the spacious building. But holding on to that will give you the ability to shine as lights in the world. And we know who the light of the world is. It's Christ. So to be able to like resonate any of his light by holding on to him in the midst of all this is just miraculous thinking to see that visually. And really to think about that gives me a small inkling of maybe what Paul was feeling of that joy, even in the midst of prison, right? Like that, that is part of that essence. Before we leave this section, I also really liked um, in our study manual, it talks about when we look at verse 12, um, 
And I thought that this was relevant to bring out and and again with the works and the grace, but um, I, I think it's so important because I think that it's something that we get, it's such a paradigm within our, um, within the church culture that I've been exposed to that I think it's, it's worth kind of looking at it from another angle again. I was reading this scripture with my daughter. So in verse 12, we look at the end and it says, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so the question is, like, it, do we work out our own salvation? And it's like works. And I was asking my daughter, like, what do you think that means? Do you think it means grace? Or do you like, like, what do you think that this means? And she said, well, I think it means that it's telling us that, like, we've got to do the work, like, we got to figure it out and work it out ourselves. And I, and so I was really thinking about that. And this thought came to me as we were talking that, there's this process. I think a lot of times we put works first and works is like maybe obeying the commandments. Do you think that's fair to say if we're going to like define what work, what like works means for people. And so we've got the, maybe these things that we know that we need to be accomplishing doing and that that's just sort of like, and maybe in some ways that can feel like a prison to some people that we have like from here throughout the rest of our life, we have these works that we need to be doing. But I kind of flipped it on its head a little bit. And I thought as we turn to the Savior, that is our choice. Like we choose him. If that if that's our choice and we choose him, then because of that choice, we partake of grace. Because we choose him, we are able to have his grace to enable us, to sanctify us, we can be cleansed, we can have the ability and power to do what we are able to do, including the work of God. And so when I thought about the word work, I thought about what a different feeling it gives me to think about, okay, I need to do these works, which to me is almost like jobs, like not jobs, like chores, like here's these things that God has told me I need to do and I need to do them all, as opposed to I need to participate in the work of God like capital T, capital W, participate in the work of God. I love the work. I'm quoting that one. I'm writing it down so I never forget it. Excellent. Um, I'm going to be like G.I. Joe. Capital T, capital (laughs) W. You're G.I. Joe. Okay, so here's a great point. The work. How do we see it? Do we see the law as a weapon when uncomfortable? Or do we see it as coupled with love as something to help guide us and lead us? Do we see as people that don't keep the commandments as sinners or people that don't know how to use the commandments to help them grow closer to Christ? Work Mm -hmm. is something that Heavenly Father gives us so that we can grow closer to Christ. But how we define what that is, if it's used to make people feel um, love withdrawn because they don't keep them, that is zero the way that the Lord wants us to use it works is to help us feel love. And so when we look at working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we can see that as you better do the works or you're going to, you know, have some real punishment. And maybe some people think that's what it is. But for me, when I look at the work as love, my fear and trembling is, what if something happens that I don't, I'm not thinking of that in that perspective, it would cause me great fear and trembling to think that I couldn't feel God's love. Like I have, I want to do everything I can to be in tune with him, 
so that I don't have to not have that love. Like my fear is that to not be in tune, that's where I would be. Um, that's where my fear would come from. Right. But I could see how if I thought, oh, I have to live the commandments or I'm being punished. That would look like a whole different sentence, right? And it's a whole different kind of fear. And interestingly, um, I really like kind of took that fear and trembling as more of like a like a fear and trembling. Like if I'm going to. OK, so like let's say I'm doing something and you brought up G.I. Joe, so I'm just going to bring up like some kind of movie where there's a bomb and someone's going in and they have to like deactivate the bomb. Like you're going to have a little bit of fear and trembling, but I think what that means is you're going to take it very seriously. Yeah. And that's, you're going to be very focused. You're going to make sure that you are very clear in what needs to be done next because you want to get it right. Yeah. And that's the feeling I had, but I couldn't put into words like that. I like that where you're like, I want to do what you want me to do. And I don't want to deviate from that. And the bomb, you know, like, exactly. That's, but I can see how that is hard. That That's what you bring to the scriptures, right? That's what you bring to the commandments. If you look at the commandments that way, you will be tuned to love and feel that love, right? But if you bring to the commandments, well, this is what I have to do or else people will judge me. This is what I have to do or will not be accepted. This is what I have to do or love will be withdrawn. Those are very different perspectives. And isn't it interesting, I think, that sometimes within our congregations, we may feel that to a certain extent that I am part of this group because I am conforming to all of these things, all of these commandments or kind of these norms that we've established within our congregation, and that if I deviate from that, then that love or acceptance from the group will be withdrawn from me. And certainly some people have experienced that. Absolutely. And the question is, is the law our master or is Christ our master who uses the law to help us feel his love? That's it. And he says here, um, as you go on in the, to chapter three, he talks about how he talks about again, how he used to love the culture of the law. Exactly what we're just stating. He was a Pharisee. He was living large, being smart, privileged, and knowing exactly what the law is and sticking it to people. And he, this is what he has to say about that. He says, all the vain glories of the world are a complete loss to him. I now count everything as loss because the superior value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, those things, I regard them as dung. So that's how much you can change when you can shift your perspective to see that this is about growing closer to Christ and being one with him as the body of Christ. And so if you're in a body of Christ where people are judging you because of all this, I don't know that the instrument is working well for Christ. And I think how important is that if we look at this new focus of ministering, how can we minister to one another if people don't feel comfortable being in our congregation, even if they are deviated from. Okay, we had a little audio glitch there, but wrapping up my point, I just wanted to say that I really think it's important that in our congregations as we're ministering together, that we recognize that the Lord's understanding of how all of us as instruments are gonna work together is far surpasses our own understanding. And we need to be mindful of that and not assume 
that we know how other people are supposed to fit into our congregation and what that's supposed to look like. Well, talking about passing all understanding, that takes us straight to our next point, um, which starts off again um, referring to some of our modern hymn lyrics. So in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice! Again, I say rejoice. And you, we've heard that in our modern hymns. Um, to rejoice in the Lord. And as we do this, in verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and thoughts in Christ Jesus. And yours, the King James Version states this a little differently. It's the more popular version. I think just more familiar. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And um, I personally have felt this peace in my life the more I become more in tune with the, the Lord as an instrument for him. We even, I think about just recently, we've had experiences where I have felt that peace in Christ that passeth all understanding. Just two nights ago, um, Jake, who's 16, he's had his license for two weeks. And one of those weeks we were gone. So he's been driving for a week. So he's still in that, okay, this is the only place you can go. Don't pe have people in the car stage. Well, two nights ago, he got in a car accident. Not only did he get in a car accident, but he broke every rule we'd given him. He went for a joy ride. Now, when he called the mom and me, the first thing I do is check to make sure everybody's safe. And they were, and I felt peace. And then I, then we started finding out what was going on. And the interesting situation was everyone was safe. The damage was very contained. Um, and so it was very interesting to approach it more as I felt this peace, like we should discuss how this is very comparable to the repentance process because he broke every rule and he was dishonest about where he went. And, he, and consequently, because of that, when he got in the car accident, it was a much bigger deal. And so we talked about the repentance process and there was actually a lot of peace, which I think is interesting because most of my friends that have had this experience, right away there's a lot of concern about... Um, what to, yes, and consequences, which in this situation, it, it wasn't just how it, we sat and talked a lot of, about how it affected the other person. And, um, but we also had to address the fact that he made choices that were bad choices. And so it was very interesting to have this experience and feel that peace, not only feel that peace, but feel the spirit guide me as to, and my husband as to what we should talk to him about as a teaching experience. And so I thought that was interesting as we were reading this, because I've, I've heard this scripture used often and people talking about peace they felt in, in times of, of, you know, people passing and very times where it's very applicable and it, and it really is this amazing peace you can feel, but it's a peace that we can feel in our daily lives or in our times of trials often, which we have. And I think that's the part that I really appreciate about it when it says that phrase, that it passeth all understanding. That the part that to me is the part that really helps me to recognize, um, or one of the things that helps me to recognize that the Spirit is working in my life, that the Savior is with me, that my heavenly parents are aware of me. Because in a situation, whether it be sort of like an everyday parenting foible, like managing a teenage car accident where there was no injuries all the way to a death and all the things in between or maybe a trauma or something else 
that when it doesn't make sense to feel peace and to feel um, a calm that everything is okay because um, the circumstances around us are telling us something different, to me, that is communicating that the Lord is at work here, that a miracle has unfolded in my life because it doesn't make any sense for me to feel peace, but I do. And I am so thankful for that in my life. And it's interesting how, like, I really love that you were able to pull that in to sort of a more, like, it's not every day. Luckily, our teenagers aren't getting in car accidents every it's day. It's very expensive. Yes, it if is. If that were the case. I would not recommend that as an everyday experience, but... It is a little bit more commonplace and maybe less traumatic than some other things that we think of. But I love that your first thought was to pull in inspiration and how do we move forward from here and how can we make this a learning experience. And in the same way, I feel like sometimes we turn to a verse like this, that we seek for that peace of God, which passeth all understanding in these big dramatic moments and how thankful we are for them in those moments but that we don't recognize how much we can pull that into our everyday life, our parenting moments, anything that's going on. I don't know. Maybe you have a kid who just talked rude to you. Maybe you have something that isn't making sense or a bit of tension that even in those small moments that the Lord is there. And yeah, that we... I, I really love your point about the small moments because as I do reflect, I have heard this often, really quoted in times of great despair but to put it in the context of everyday life I think is is an excellent point to make and I also enjoyed that this is what precedes the the inspiration Joseph Smith received for the 13th article of faith Mm. and so um it's almost as if it's a um a manual of how you get to a place where you can feel that kind of peace finally beloved in verse 8 whatever is true honorable just pure lovely commendable If something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things and what you learned, received, heard, and and saw me do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And in the 13th article of faith, it talks about we seek out these things. And as we seek out these things and we think about these things, they can grow in our lives. They can bring more of that peace. I think of the things that are pure and lovely of good report and praiseworthy in my life. And these are things that people have done where you can see that they've been inspired. You can feel the presence of God in their life as they've I've done these works of excellence. And um, as we reflect on how that happens, we can learn more about the nature of God, more of the plan of salvation, and we can feel that peace, whether in times of big trial or everyday trials. And I think also that the things that we can see and feel in others also has that same spectrum because you use the word excellence and I think, oh my gosh, I've seen that in people in my life, but that that may be an intimidating word for some people. Like, well, I don't know if I have excellence in what I'm doing. I'm just bringing my little light to the equation. And yet that little bit of light, if in any measure someone could feel of God's love and God's light through us, then that is exactly what we've been called to do in his work. Oh, I love that. Because, I mean, I, I really, I think one of my favorite lines in this whole reading has been that as you hold on fast to the word of life, you shine as lights in the world. Mm. And so it goes back to that point. I really like that. And to finish off this chapter, Paul again addresses that in jail, he has known that in times of his life, he's had abundance. And in times of his life, he's had um, wants and 
But even in prison, he feels that peace because he knows he can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is Christ. In verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which reminds me of, of Nephi as he says, we will go and do the things that the Lord has commanded because we know that we can do all things through Christ. And to include just a little further down in that same chapter in verse 19, that God will supply our needs. So when you combine this, the peace with which passeth understanding, being able to feel of that light through others and through our own works, having that strength through the grace of Christ and having our needs supplied, it's easy to understand why we're able to say, as Paul did at the beginning, that we can have joy in Christ because we have all of these things, even if we are in a prison-ish situation. Well, and you talk about um, this word glory is used several times throughout these chapters. And in the verses you were just talking about, he's, he, he says, according to the glory of his riches in Christ Jesus, that, he'll, that God will provide for us. And I just love the word glory. As I talked about, this is a very musical type of um, couple of books. And the word glory, we, we know the glory of God is used often in Christmas music. And, and I think the points we're making reflect what glory means. This idea of being a light for Christ this idea of um, finding peace in Christ that through our works, that is the glory of God. That um, th th where we become lights in his world, that is that shimmering part of the light that we get to be an instrument in that and glory is magnified. So I just, I really enjoy the word glory. That's what I was thinking. Which to me has a lot of like energy to it. Like, I don't know, it's kind of exciting. Like it's all I shiny like it. And shimmery. Nobody can see your jazz hands, but I'm appreciating <laughs> them right now. Yes, I'm very okay. So gesticulating. Let's but... move forward to Colossians because we spent the bulk of our time here in Philippians. Oh yes, let's actually talk about Colossians. Um, it is a letter that is addressing also the changes that are happening in Christ's church amidst the Roman Empire and they're they're introduced to these new challenges where they're reflecting on things about there's concerns that he's clarifying we do not worship angels we do not beat ourselves up these are new sects that are coming out that people are reflecting on and saying oh that's really neat but again they're going away from the gospel of Christ which the gospel of Christ is turning us to him and helping us feel his love and share that love when we get more focused on you know, maybe worshiping angels, or we get more focused on something else, we are not being rooted in Christ. And so he talks specifically about being rooted in Christ. I, I, I took that away from this book a lot. So Yes. And one of the other things that I wanted to bring up, I did see in um, chapter one of Colossians, Paul did a buildup again, which I love how he sort of takes a concept and guides us through and teaches us how one thing builds upon the other and on the other. And I particularly have, so I'm in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through about 13. But what I particularly love and what I think is sort of the safety for what you're talking about with these people in the church in um, where he's writing to the Colossians is that the very first step that Paul gives in verse 9 is that we are going to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, which to me is personal revelation, spiritual understanding. We're learning through the spirit. And if we're anchored in that learning, then all of these things build from it, that we can be fruitful in good works, that we can increase in knowledge. Then we're strengthened by his power. We can give thanks, be delivered from darkness. But really, what is the thing that is keeping us 
going in the proper direction is that personal revelation. And um, I love that you talked about that. And as you were reading, I realized because you use the King James Version of the Bible and I'm using the Wayman translation. So in the Greek, it combines that knowledge and understanding and uses the term spiritual wisdom, which I love that as we receive personal revelation that we have this sense of spiritual wisdom because spiritual wisdom seems to imply more of an experiential thing to me. And so I love thinking of it as personal revelation, giving you more spiritual wisdom. And so as we get more spiritual wisdom, as we reach this deliverance from darkness, as we turn more to Christ, we become rooted in Christ, grounded in Christ. We talk about coming here to, to earth, receiving our bodies. And, and I hear people talk about, I'm feeling grounded in my body today, right? And I think to me that resonates with my spirit and body are working well together. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about what it means to be grounded in the body of Christ and how that feels to work well together. That as we turn to Christ and we can be abounding in gratitude towards him, and he says specifically um, that just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, live in him, being rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you have been taught while abounding in gratitude. And we do that. We do that as we listen to conference this past week is that as we listen to the leaders of our church and they guide us as we read the book of mormon which constantly turns us to christ over and over again we are reminded that president nelson is our such an amazing prophet and that he is turning to christ who is the head of our church to lead us and guide us and that's how we stay rooted and grounded and i really love this idea that there are multiple ways really where we are getting rooted like where the Savior is becoming part of us. So here in that rooting, that anchoring, that we are really, um, I guess anchoring is the word that I'm loving there, that we're anchored in him, that he's our security, right? As if we're staying there. I also love in verse two um, of that same chapter, so just like five verses earlier, talking about how um, our hearts can be comforted and that we can be knit together in love. And what I wrote there is that the love of our Savior heals us and I have experienced that that as we have any brokenness within us that his love will knit us together um, and that um, that 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 his love will knit us together and that that's yet one more way that we become one with the Savior and that and then interestingly then is that way that we are knit together as we can use our love to help knit others together, does that not bind us to them in the body of Christ too? Oh, I just I, totally, I love connection. that. I love that. And as we are rooted more and more, you talked about how Christ dwells within us and how Christ can dwell within, how we can dwell within the body of Christ. That brought, brings us full circle back to the very beginning of this. When we talked about that, we increase in knowledge, we increase in discernment that he's building our house that he's going to dwell there. He's going to live there. And actually, it's interesting to think that that's where we started. And he he actually finishes here at the end with a verse that's comparable to that. And, and I really loved it because this year I was in a choir where we sang the words of this scripture. And I was reading the scripture this um, week and I thought about how music and the harmonies of Christ can bring us together and make us feel united. And I, I sang with a great conductor this summer who talked, um, who had this ability to combine the symphony and the voices together to great, make this beautiful, harmonious music. And I was so impressed that he could do all that and he could write gorgeous text. 
And then I'm reading the scripture and I'm like, wait a second, how did I not catch that, that he was like using this text? And so in that text, it talks again about Christ dwelling in you. It says in chapter three, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you and in all wisdom teach and encourage each other with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thanks in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in speech or work, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so as we would sing this, the verses would change. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Let the word of Christ teach you. Let the world of word of Christ swell inside you. And as you do that, you will fill his, his life and the, the peace that passeth all understanding. And, and as we share psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with each other, we can feel that peace too. It's interesting to me that we've talked about the harmony of Christ and him being the great conductor and that this is almost like a song. And to think about how we're all the body of Christ and we're unified and the more we can harmonize together and work together, his instrument can be tuned and it can be refined and it and we can make beautiful work together. Yes, and, so. and I also just wanted to add just before we close too, that as you were talking, I really, um, this thought of intimacy came to me in that not only is the Savior doing this work with all of us together, but that he's doing this work within each of us as well. And that there's an intimacy there because it's so completely customized. Everything that he is um, communicating with us and that we can reach out and receive that very specific, um, very loving um, guidance, support, help, love, encouragement, steps, that that really is so very personal. And I don't want to lose sight of that in the midst of the whole body as well, that both are true at the same time. Yeah, and I love that you pointed that out before we close because whenever we talk about God's work, we're trying to put it in the context of things we can really wrap our heads around. And we use these analogies. And he is the great conductor and he does know how to use us but it's so much more sophisticated than that, that we are really his children and he does see us all individually, but he really does have a plan for each of us and he will magnify us when we're, when we're tuned to him. And um, I love that this whole thing, all our reading kind of came together to, to make that statement. To bring to that point, yeah. because and that is pulling so it together. So thanks for following along with me today, <laughs> Thank Michelle. Thank you, Laura. I'm so excited about next week.